Welcome to Soccer 101. My name is Daryl Grove and sitting across the table from me, a man who always has the right combination, <laughs> his name is Taylor Rockwell. Hello. Hello. I wish I did, but I'm hoping this episode will help me have the right combination yeah. when it comes to the tactics we utilize in our amateur soccer games. So we are going to do the strengths and weaknesses of the ve- of the sort of mainstream mm-hmm. Formations, you 442, 433, 4231, uh, 352. No WMs up in here. No WMs because it's not the early 1900s. (laughs) anymore you mentioned amateur soccer yep. like obviously we use some of these with our team mm-hmm. but we these are of course professional formations as what well. <laughs> i thought these were just ours it just looks more amateur when we do it <sighs> but Fine. I'm, I'm really hoping this is a thing where if you've like heard people talk about formations mm-hmm. and you don't quite get it this will help also if you're one of those people who already knows all about soccer i still think you'll find this an illuminating combination uh, conversation mm-hmm. just to think about how various formations um interact complement or trump each other right and and that last one is the big one because we often get that question on the total soccer show of like which formation is best which one beats all the other ones yeah, yeah. and if that were the case then everyone would use that formation yes the simpler or the more complex but simpler answer is none of them are better because they all have strengths and weaknesses yeah we go yeah spoiler alert they all have flaws yeah yeah so uh let's let's get to it oh before okay. we do this is the first soccer 101 for a little while mm-hmm. so i want to let people know that if you've just discovered this episode you can scroll back and you can find episodes about Pele, Penenkas, Derbies and why they're called Derbies, mm-hmm. like all kinds of Soccer 101 episodes. We encourage you to scroll through the feed, pick out any show you want to listen to. You encourage. I say, I say pick out the one that I think is the best, which is Pele. <laughs> <laughs> is that really your favorite? I don't really remember, to be honest. I think the Penenka one I really enjoyed as yes. well because there's a lot of different stuff in there. And yeah. the different tricks one I found. I think that was because that's one, to be honest, I was not as excited to do because I feel like we've done I tricks twist before. Your arm a little bit for that I one, think right? so because it felt to me like a very <laughs> – given that we do an entire show about visual tactics, yeah. I don't have that issue with it. But like – Individual moves felt like a thing that lends itself to video as opposed to us discussing it. But I think the way we did it, the way that you helped me settle upon, that's my generous way of putting it, uh, the way I refer to myself being drunk is overserved. (laughs) In this case, you helped me figure it out. I I would watch a YouTube video of you demonstrating these tricks, though. And falling over yeah. and not being able to hold them off. Well, luckily, I get to watch you do some of them every Sunday. Yeah, the elastico less so. The elastico less <laughs> yeah, less so, the elastico, yeah. except for the accidental ones. Yeah. All right. My ankles the, are not rubber bands. See the formations. I think we should start with what I think mm-hmm. of as the most basic formation. <laughs> <laughs> if only because it was so I mean, popular. Shots fired at a four four two. It was so popular <laughs> in England uh, in the eighties and nineties. It's kind of the default for a lot of teams. Mm-hmm. The good old four four two. Four four two is the blue denim white t shirt of formations. <laughs> uh, put it this way: we I knew the formations we were going to do because obviously we plan a little bit ahead. Yeah. We had not Who's settled on four four two being the first one we were going to discuss. That you called it the basic one. I was like, yeah. oh, four four two. Yeah, gotcha. <laughs> <laughs> so here's why it's a it's a good basic structure was yeah. popular for a long time is it just gives you a pretty even spread throughout mm-hmm. the field right you have a line of four defenders you have a line of four midfielders spread across the midfield and then you have two strikers mm-hmm. and it used to be at least in england for a long time the classic two strikers was like 
big man, fast man. Mm-hmm. And I think it lends itself to a more direct style of play. Where the you, Jermaine Defoe, Peter Crouch system. Kind of, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh, where you almost bypass midfield. You yeah. just go direct to the big man. Big man flicks it on. Fast man runs in behind, mm-hmm. right? Yeah. And then you got your wingers would go down the outside and midfielders would run up and down. Yeah. yeah. And, I, and I think, like, for why it became so popular, at least for me, it's what I played my entire life growing up. Yeah. And I think a huge part of it is because it is, for me, explanation standpoint very very simple you two are center backs you're the left back you're the right back you're one yeah. of the two central midfielders you're left mid you're right mid you're the forward you're the other forward like yeah. it's it's the four three three and some of the other formations we're going to talk about are a bit more like well there's three of you but your job is kind of this and you kind of yes. do that this one is like you two stay it. central you you stay on the left the simplicity of the roles mm-hmm. makes it really easy right? yeah. again not just in amateur soccer but in professional soccer it, and it, there's like a lot of simple pairs, right? Mm-hmm. Like you've got two central midfielders yeah. and you can say, all right, you be a bit more defensive, you be a bit more attacking. That's it, right? Yeah. The strikers, you be the big man, you be the fast man. Wingers, you just say, attack down the wings. Mm-hmm. That's all you need to do. Don't worry about anything else. And really when four four two was really popular, fullbacks didn't overlap so much. Their job wasn't as complicated. Mm-hmm. It was just to defend the wide areas. So it's a really simple formation that everybody was happy with. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, and, I know that I always like jump to the club that I support, but yeah. I would say to, the, like, to exemplifying that would be Manchester United playing oh, yeah. that four four two in the late nineties, early nineties. I would say, yeah, early yeah. Early I guess 90s. just the entire nineteen yeah. nineties, basically. Yeah. Since <laughs> Ferguson took over, even though he would say he never played a four four two, but whatever. Yeah. But uh, to your point, like Gary Neville is not a person. Uh, Dennis Irwin is not a person I would think of as an overlapping attacking fullback. Yeah. Like Gary Neville scored probably like three goals in his uh-huh. entire career. Yeah, Man United would have two good wingers, mm-hmm. as my dad used to say, yep. and a couple of hardworking midfielders. Yep. Yeah, and mm-hmm. that four four two really really worked but we're making it sound like the 442 is great what are the drawbacks mm-hmm. of the 442 why has it fallen out of fashion why isn't it the dominant formation anymore the, i have answers but i want to hear you i think the easiest answer is the low-hanging fruit the one that i will take most readily mm-hmm. is that when you come up against a formation like a 433 or a 4231 where there are three opposition central midfielders three is more than two and it is very it. easy to pass through uh two players if you are three players that i mean that, that's the absolute mm-hmm. that's it right you two central midfielders can be overwhelmed by any formation yeah. that has three central midfielders and you can lose the midfield battle right and so the way you can kind of get around that i guess is if you turn the 442 into a like very rigid almost defensive shape atletico madrid would be the biggest one of that most In fact, recently that's how the 442 survives yes. right it survives not as an attacking shape but as a compact defensive right. shape exactly yeah. but i think initially it was used as this like expansive you've got kind of options everywhere because there's symmetry and you know where everyone's yeah. going to be so you can sort of spread it around but as you had more kind of midfielders centrally uh, playing against a 4-4-2, that's when I think it dropped into a more defensive shape. Yeah, but that's the big one. And when you see it now, it's very, very compact, yeah. right? So it's everyone's nice and tight tight and close together. Yeah, I'd say so. All right. So there's the 4-4-2. We hope that's a decent little uh, pros and cons, 4-4-2, and maybe why you don't see it so much anymore. Let's move on to something with a three-man midfield. Mm-hmm. The four three three. Yeah. The four three three. Because in like in my head growing up, you basically had two formations, four four two or four three three. I'm trying to remember like I think it was only in high school that my my team played it. I think we did a three four three because it seemed really fun and interesting. Yeah. But aside from that, it was just four four two for me. I'm sure there were teams out there that played four three threes and they probably ended up winning more because I think the four three three is is another one that is more difficult, not quite as like balanced as a four four two in terms of explanation, but is probably one of the best formations to play for expansive pretty soccer. So how would you describe the advantages of it then? The, the three central midfielders mm-hmm. obviously um, gives you an advantage. Um, I kind of like that the three central midfielders in four three three 
you can have any combination, right? You mm. could have one defensive midfielder who's deep with two attacking midfielders. You could have two defensive midfielders and an attacking midfielder. You could have like a number eight who goes back and forth. You can really, it gets complicated, mm. but that midfield three, you can give any set of instructions to those guys in a 4 3 3 and mold that into what you want it to be. Yeah. I think exactly. the classic is probably one holding and like two number eights, right? Yeah. Number eights being, if you listen to our numbers episode, mm. the guys who will run up and down box to box yeah. while one guy holds the fourth. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Would you would you say that was the case for like the treble winning Barcelona team under Pep Guardiola? Because I would think of that as more of a like a six eight ten sort of midfield. What like Iniesta? Who's Iniesta? I guess you're 10? right. I, but then Xavi is in there too, so I don't yeah. really know which one of them. They're both like hybrid eight tens. So well, I, I take your point. Here's the thing: I think the four three three is a wonderful formation if you are ball dominant possession yeah. team. So Barcelona of say 2009 is like the peak, right? Of that Barcelona Guardiola team with Busquets, Xavi. Iniesta in the midfield. You think of Busquets as the sixth, the holding midfielder. He's not doing really a lot of defensive work. It's all about his passing and uh, mm. creative work, right? Yeah. So that's why I really think 4-3-3 is a great formation if you're ball dominant, mm-hmm. right? So you've got the three central midfielders, then you've got two wide attackers, and then you've got the one uh, striker. But if you've got the ball all the time, um, you can really overwhelm an opposition with that shape. Would you, you say- get your fullbacks forward as well? You can like have the yeah. two wide attackers and the, mm-hmm. the, the two wide of the front three can come inside, kind of like Liverpool do under Klopp. Then you can have the fullbacks get forward and fill in the wide mm-hmm. space. Suddenly, you've got all kinds of attacking superiority, yeah. but that's only if you're the better team. So I think four three three is really suited to being the best team on the field, not um, so much to defending. I. I- I agree and disagree uh, simultaneously because I know what you mean. Like like Barcelona are the, like are are and have been the dominant team. Yeah. But I look at like the Dutch and Ajax teams of the early mid seventies, and those teams a lot of times were going into games as this like unheralded underdog. But I think, but they were still secretly the best team in that game because right? of the technical ability. And yeah. I think that's what I would say is like you don't necessarily have to be the most dominant, but you probably have to be one of the more technical teams yeah. to be able to play because the Dutch idea is everybody can do everything. So a left back can be a left winger can be a left forward and everybody can rotate around and so you have to have the technical ability to back that up I also think the quick thing I was going to say is I think the other reason why the 442 is maybe a very popular basic one is because it's like the most plug and play in my mind that like yeah okay you're left midfielder whereas with the 433 it still requires a little bit of nuance and like okay are you going to be an attacking left fullback well then you have to know exactly how to do that and when yeah exactly Mm -hmm. exactly so that makes it a little bit more challenging yeah. but I think because of your left back can be one of your most important attackers see uh, Jordi Alba at Barcelona yeah. or it can be your left winger or it can be one of your central midfielders or both or all three like yeah. you have variables so all over the place would you agree with my basic premise then that 4-3-3 is a great formation if you're a super talented team yes but if you're a team that wants to punch above its weight mm-hmm. maybe this is not for you. Yeah. you I would say you maybe to invest in some new players. Like maybe the next formation we're going to talk about is the is the yes. more sort of like grinding out results yeah. uh, formation. And we will let listeners wonder what that formation is mm-hmm. while we talk about well, today's advertising. No, we're not. We're going back. What we're well, about. because we we talked about the weaknesses of the four four two. What would you say are the vulnerabilities of a four three three? Aside from that, you need the technical ability to kind of execute it properly. Well, I, th- I think the weakness is that you um, the way you attack, you can expose yourself, mm-hmm. right? Because for example, um, if the wingers stay wide. Wide, they're not necessarily coming back and doing a defensive job. Yep. Um, if they stay wide and attack, you've only got one striker. Like you know, you, mm-hmm. that striker can get quite isolated, right? So in a really good four-three-three, the wide, the wide, the wingers, the wide attackers have to almost come in field and join. Mm-hmm. Otherwise, that striker gets isolated, and then your width, like I said earlier, has to come from your fullbacks, and suddenly. 
there are big holes where your fullbacks used to be, right? Yeah. So like a Guardiola team will do this, but get away with it, yeah. right? Because they're just they they're willing to risk sending that many men forward because they're probably going to score. Man. But a more mid table team, they're taking a huge risk if they do that. I'm jumping ahead here, but to your point about how you have to be the more superior team, the way that teams... Well, that's not my thesis statement for the 4-3-3. I mean, it's accurate yeah. because I was just realizing that like the way teams then deal with having like very attacking fullbacks is to make them wingbacks, and then you have three in the back to give you more stability. And essentially, like Barcelona under Pep Guardiola played uh, like three in the back system, but only had two in the back. <laughs> like, yeah. It's kind of insane. Uh-huh. <laughs> All right, they're pretty good. Yeah, they're a pretty dominant team. You're correct. You ready to talk about today's advertising? Now I, I feel am, like yes. it was a segment where I convinced you of something. That's my favorite segment on the Talk Soccer Show. <laughs> today's show is sponsored by... Away Days. That if you've right. listened to the Total Soccer Show, you will know all about Away Days. They are an independent football clothing brand uh, based in Massachusetts, mm-hmm. but we won't hold that against them. We will not. Uh, when we first... I actually have a lot of love for Boston right now. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> and, you, and your wife lived there before, correct? Yes. yes. And was in the Winter Hill gang, we've decided? She was the leader. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> she pinned it all on Whitey Bulls. was the fall guy? Yeah. Checks out. That's, I, would, I wouldn't put that past <laughs> Shannon. She's crafty and clever. Um, but uh, Away Days first, uh, when they b- became a sponsor, uh, were the purveyor of the mystery kit they had yeah. their own kind of custom kit or custom gear custom but then brand, they had yeah. mystery kits as well now they've got everything man it's they've got everything it's all there mm-hmm. but should we promote the basics let's do uh, it sort of the 442 of awaydaysfootball.com mm-hmm. is the mystery kit yeah. um, so this is you spend $25 which is a very low price for a soccer shirt or less we'll get to that in a minute or less and you you are sent literally a mystery kit you, are. you don't know what it's going to be it could be a second division Japanese team, could be an English team, could be an Icelandic team, could be an Italian team. Stop me, I'm going to list all the countries There were rumors the of Finland. I think Finland was in there briefly. <laughs> so yeah, you really, you don't know what you're going to get. So mm-hmm. it's kind of a cool hipstery yeah. soccer, in a good way, uh, soccer gift for yourself or for someone else because like, you're going to get a random soccer kit. Right, and because the, the key thing there being it's smaller teams, you're not getting the yeah. bigger, bigger, bigger ones. So it does allow you to, if you collect jerseys, you get an interesting one. If you want to yeah. get into soccer, you get maybe a team that is, because you will st- still get, like I think we've gotten Benfica in the past and like yeah. River Plate. So you'll still get some big enough teams that you could still follow them yeah, and get River you in that Plate way. Yeah, but you wouldn't call mainstream in the no. United States, for example, mm-hmm. right? But if you wanted to maybe go a little bit more mainstream, they yeah. now have the 2018-2019 mystery kit, which yeah. is a combination of smaller and larger clubs yep. so you're still not necessarily definitely going to get a big club but they're in there like you might That's get a PSG $40. or you might get an Oviedo there you go I have an Oviedo I, I love my Oviedo they've uh, got the, uh, other options uh, women's World Cup mystery kit those are only available in women's sizes but it's uh, uh, countries from the 2018 Women's World Cup you've got the kids mystery kit which is mostly bigger teams but still you can get bigger teams for smaller people bigger teams for smaller people you should be in branding and work for away days that is well done sir <laughs> well done my friend you can also also get 15% off all the prices the we devil just mentioned. you say. When Tyler said you don't have to pay $25, you use the discount code 101. That's the numbers 101 to get 15% off at awaydaysfootball.com. There we are. Thank you very much to awaydaysfootball.com for sponsoring today's episode. But if Away Days had a competitor who kind of did a more boring route to what they do <laughs> to kind of shut things down a little bit, uh, to be a bit more Home standard, days? they would play a 4-2-3-1. <laughs> yes. So you mentioned the, the formation to sort of punch above your weight. Um, yeah. I think it is the 4-2-3-1. It's been really popular for a really long time, mm-hmm. including right now. We're recording this in October 2019. There are still plenty of teams around the world 
play a four-two-three-one. The Women's World Cup was full of four-two-three-one this summer. It was uh, true. It was like maybe three seasons ago when we were doing Richmond Kickers commentary that we could essentially just assume that every team the kickers were playing in the USL, USL that time, not championship, yeah. uh, they were going to be playing a four-two-three-one, and they yeah. almost always were. <laughs> like it was that common. It's a little bit less common now, but yes, still very much uh, popular amongst a variety of different teams. And I would argue that it's sort of the modern version of a four-four-two, mm-hmm. the four-two-three-one, because you have a good spread of the field. And it's kind of nicely balanced, right? So four defenders across the back. It's kind of basic, right? Two centre-backs, two full-backs. Then two defensive midfielders gives you a lot of cover. Mm-hmm. Then you still have an attacking midfielder in front of them, plus two wingers, plus a striker. Mm-hmm. That's the 4-2-3-1. Right. It gives you a little bit of everything. And I think, in my opinion, it's also flexible. Because if you can do basic math, the 4-2-3-1 when you're defending can very easily become... A four-five-one, mm-hmm. which gives you a very defensive shape that you can you can clog up the middle and defend the wings, right? In a four-five-one, um, and then when you attack, the fo- the beauty of the four-two-three-one is the two defensive midfielders. One of them can essentially be let off the leash mm-hmm. when you attack. So you can have one guy who leaves the defensive midfield role and joins the attack, still leaving one guy. Um, to sort of, you know, secure the gate. For sake of argument, let's just call that player Jermaine Jones. Okay, Jermaine Jones, <laughs> but then he can come back afterwards yeah. as well to keep the, the base too. So yeah. I think it's very, very flexible. Um, I would uh, agree with everything you said, and then I would add an asterisk and say mostly. <laughs> because <laughs> because I, I do think the four two three one is probably in the modern era the one that gives you the most balance theoretically. That's the word I should use, theoretically. Yeah. I also think of the four we're going to talk about today, it is the most difficult to play well from front to back. Because it does lend itself, I think, to, as you said, you can drop in and be a four five one. A lot of teams will also use it as a way to drop in and play four four two defensively. But I think it's very difficult. We've experienced this in our adult league of a four two three one oftentimes leaves that striker stranded, especially if those wingers are dropping in. Yeah. And so Especially that, if you're a weaker team and you're looking to counterattack, yeah. when you start from that like more four five one ish shape, it really does leave that striker isolated yeah. on his own. Front, and, yeah. and it's one that makes sense. Everybody plays it, so we'll all play it. But in reality, finding like connections through like that left midfielder to that forward when they're forty yards apart, it's really difficult to do that. Yeah. And I think it almost lends itself to like the team with the better individual players. If you've got one to four two three one versus the other in a kind of vacuum, the one with the better players is going to win yeah. because it's a difficult system to play without a lot of practice. I think it also demands. The way that a lot of coaches run it, it demands a lot of the wingers Mm -hmm. in terms of defensive work, right? right? So unlike in, say, the 4-3-3, the wingers aren't free to just be wide attackers. They often have to track back and mark the opposition fullback and come back. And they have to be very much two-way players. And once you become half committed to defensive responsibility, you're half not committed to attacking. Yeah. And then then if you're half committed to attacking, say you've got your left back becomes your left winger. And then your striker gets more isolated. Yeah. 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 Or or you then leave yourself exposed. So it's a really difficult one to balance out because if you then try to keep both your fullbacks forward to give you some width so that your wide players can go central to support the striker, then now you've left yourself exposed behind... uh, uh, see Brazil when they got thonked 7-1 <laughs> by Germany. Marcelo yeah. getting far, too far forward leaves that space behind that it's easy to exploit. And that is one of the vulnerabilities, I would say, with a 4-2-3-1. So I think what we're getting to as well is when it was first 
first started like happening, mm-hmm. I think the four two three one was very effective because it was rarer for teams to play it. But now everybody's played it at some point, mm-hmm. or like everybody's playing it against each other. It just loses its effectiveness because it's not so rare, right? There is always a time, yes, because there's always a time with every one of these formations when I think to myself, like, this is it. <laughs> like, there's no way we're going to improve upon this. Yeah. This is the formation that for, will forever make the most sense. And then like three years later, it's like, this doesn't really work anymore. Yeah. This is the new formation. <laughs> and I would say that was the case for the next formation we're going to talk about, the three five two. Yeah, so this is the, the most different, yeah. I would say. Here's my thing with three five two. People love a three five two when they're doing their fantasy eleven. Again, theoretically, right? yes. Theoretically. But that's because of some of the strengths. Like it takes some a lot of the strengths of the other ones we've of the other formations we've mentioned mm-hmm. and creates almost like a best of because three five two um, so you still get a front two. You right. get the two strikers like you do in the 4-4-2, right? In 4-3-3, 4-2-3-1, you're sacrificing one striker, right? So you get two strikers in a 3-5-2. Um, five across means three central midfielders. So you still get the three central midfielders and the two strikers. Mm-hmm. Um, three centre-backs, when you write it down on paper, feels very safe. Safe Because mm-hmm. it's like three really defensive players. Yeah. So you're like, oh, we've got this on Yeah, right of course. There. No problem. And then the width comes from... The fullbacks who are really wing backs, mm-hmm. right? So they stay wide and provide the width. Yep. Feels like unstoppable. Right. But if you've ever played a 352, I've played wing back in a 352 from the age of like 22 to 24. Football pitches are big. Yep. If you're responsible, if one person is responsible for an entire flank, which normally two people are responsible for, that is so much ground to ask one person to try and cover, and they can easily get overwhelmed. Yeah, because in... Sorry, I've gone all the way through to the weaknesses. Here. No, it's fine. But like in every other formation we've talked about, like if you're the left back in a four four two, ahead of you is a left midfielder. Yeah, you've got a buddy, right? You can see. Uh, even, even in a four two three one, that left-sided winger in the three, you can sort of see up there. It's like, okay, there's somebody else up there. Yeah. In a three five two. It's pretty much just you on that left side and you alone, which makes it really hard to know when to commit forward, when not to go forward, and how to like best combine with your teammates. And I think that's the thing that you have to have is very smart, very well-trained and disciplined wingbacks to make that formation work. Yep. And then you need – eventually they need help, right? Mm -hmm. Because even if you're brilliant, you want to create an overload eventually like on a wing, say attacking-wise – to create an overload, someone's going to have to come out of position. Right. So you lose. Say you think it's great that you've got two strikers, um, but if you're going to have uh, the wing back have someone to combine with, one of those strikers is going to have to pull wide, mm-hmm. and then you've only got one central striker. Or a yeah. midfielder is going to have to pull wide, and then you're down to two central midfielders. Like uh, Sheffield United uh, this current season, 2019-20, um, Wilder is trying that thing where the centre backs overlap the mm-hmm. wing backs right. to create the overload. But then you go from three centre-backs to two centre-backs who are kind of exposed, right? Mm-hmm. So you always to, to help out the wing-back, you always have to give up something else. It's kind exactly. Because like that's, that's, that's like the reason why you have the overlapping centre-back now is because the idea in the past, in my understanding, is like if you say you're building out of the back with a back three, right? So you've got the centre-centre-back, but then the other two will kind of spread wider. And I think the idea is that allows the, full ba- the wing-backs to push further up. Yeah. But then you have your central midfielders kind of stay where they are, drop in a little bit. But now if you look at the shape of that for a second, if you start to cheat a little bit or maybe you you don't trust your center backs to play it out, so the midfield drops a little bit deeper. Suddenly, you're looking at like three four zero zero two, and like that's where you run into problems. Or three four zero one two, but like then you suddenly have isolation up top, similar to what we talked about with the four two three one, where you can get a few players stranded. So that's where the kind of like you've got to drill it out and have the right personnel yeah. who know how to play it, because otherwise, very quickly you get gaps and an inability to build. And then the big, the very dangerous thing is if you have that back three mm-hmm. spread out across the field. 
suddenly those are huge gaps that can be exploited right. by the opposition, right? So back three feels secure on paper, but when you see it spread out, there's, a, there's an opportunity mm-hmm. to be exploited there. And then the other vulnerability, because I do still like, uh, this is probably my favorite formation, I think. I think I've already said the 4-3-3 was my favorite in this episode, but I also love the 3-5-2, the 3-4-3, what, ha- what have you. I will say, though, discussing the 3-4-3, three, 3-5-2 three, uh, tends to lend us to, or like end us in disagreement because I tend to argue that, historically speaking, the reason why the back three falls uh, out of fashion is because – I feel like it was set up to defend against a 4-4-2 where you've got two strikers so that two strikers are occupied by one center back apiece. That leaves one free to roam around a police yeah, defensively. Yeah. That's one of the advantages of a back three. You right. have three center backs marking two strikers. Yeah. But as teams play, say, a 4-2-3-1, now you've got one yeah. striker who is sitting centrally. So now the center center back, who I think theoretically is supposed to roam a bit more, is now marking. What are the other two doing? And then you have a bit more like, I guess I'll wander forward and mark somebody. They have a decision to make, yeah. which is tough, right? You mm-hmm. can't just focus on defending. You've got to be like, am I you? standing here should yeah. I go and step into midfield don't you suddenly asking questions of the center back weirdly by fielding one less player yeah. yeah and so I think in terms of like it's not quite a paper rock scissors thing rock paper scissors thing uh when it comes to these formations yeah but it's this, not one beats the mm-hmm. other right not necessarily but this one is the one where like four two three one does seem designed to disrupt a back three that's my feeling <laughs> yeah that, that makes okay sense. Yeah. I, I feel like we've disagreed on that point in the past i wasn't sure if that was gonna happen well, again. i mean i think there were ways around yeah, it you could certainly. just like if the manager is prepared to face if the manager like plays a back three and is prepared to face a solo striker he can prepare his centre-backs and he can tell them what he wants them to do. So as long as this isn't a surprise for the back three, I think it's possible to handle it. Yeah. It's when it's a surprise and they suddenly have questions in their own head and no one has told them, here's what you need to do to, to uh, counteract this. Mm-hmm. You know what I'm saying? Yeah, yeah. I like it. I like right. it all. So, all right, we've talked 4-4-2. Mm-hmm. Uh, we've talked, oh, we should mention 3-5-2. Peak 3-5-2 was arguably 1986 World yep. Cup final. Yes, it was. Right? Yeah. Germany versus Argentina. Both teams playing a, a three-five-two. Yes, yeah. um, and so that, if, you want, if you want to see a three-five-two in action, go watch the nineteen eighty-six World Cup final. For a slightly more plenty goals in that game too. Yes, for a slightly more recent one, there are many teams that did it in the twenty eighteen World Cup. But I always go to the twenty fourteen Dutch team and how they blitzed, the Van team. Yeah, and how they blitzed defending world champion Spain, defending European champion Spain, yeah. using this formation. Like and that's counter-attacking the, three-five-two. Yeah, right? I think that I think that was the game where they had like an absurdly small percentage of possession, like maybe thirty-four percent or something, yeah. and still destroyed Spain uh, specifically because I think their shape allowed them to have so much more flexibility and fluidity yeah alright so we've covered 4 4 2 oh and France in 2018 played a 4 2 3 1 because I think we forgot to give an example oh, okay. of that okay yeah so the, yeah probably the best most recent example of a 4 2 3 1 is mm-hmm. what France did in 2018 there we go and when we talk about the um, so this is going back to the 4 2 3 1 when we talked about having the two defensive midfielders but one joins the attack and mm-hmm. one stays Conte and Pogba Conte and Pogba are a great example of that. Pogba would join the attack or kickstart the attack, and Golo Conte would hold position and make sure to break things up no matter what. I know now we're going to get to the weeds here for a moment, but do you remember the other interesting variation that France used in the 4-2-3-1 was that occasionally Pogba would sit in and almost be a right-back, and that yes. allowed the right-back uh, Pavard to get forward and contribute uh-huh. to the attack. So even there, you've got variability in the way it's utilized, yeah. but still the rough shape was 4-2-3-1 by 4-2-3-1, the end of the tournament. 4-2-3-1, and it was good enough to win a World Cup. Not bad. Good Not enough bad. to win a World Cup. That would be interesting to, to go back and look at which formation has won the most World Cups because <laughs> that means it's the most dominant, right? That's how it works. It always wins. It's whatever the Brazilian it, formation is. If it wins most of the time, it wins all the time, obviously. <laughs> so we've done 4-4-2, four, 4-3-3, four, yeah. four, three, three, correct? 4-2-3-1, three, which we just right. went back to, 3-5-2. Uh, I feel like there are a few others that are like mm-hmm. variations on a theme that yeah. we should at least mention. So 3-5-2, uh, you also have the somewhat similar um, 
Antonio Conte title winning Chelsea team three four three. Yeah. Which kind of was in vogue for a little bit, right? So mm-hmm. same thing, back three, wing backs, but then only two central midfielders, and then you have sort of two wide but somewhat central attacking midfielders and then a striker. Mm-hmm. I there's so many ways that could work because if you do it right you end up with almost a box of four central midfielders um and then the wing backs. But if you do it wrong, you end up with only two central midfielders and you get massively overrun. And you get two two people standing on either touchline, which is what used to happen in us. Again, from an amateur perspective, I I do not think you can play a three four one two or a three four two one without a coach. You have to have yeah. someone who says like, no, you've got to stay more central. But why wouldn't more pro teams do it? Because they do have coaches. Um, I mean, I think it's, it's probably just the specialization of the center backs and the wing backs and needing to know exactly how to drop back and when. And I think yeah. that requires the coach to sort of be schooled in it and have a good understanding of how to execute that and how to explain it and implement it properly. And that is a skill. I mean, and some coaches prefer to kind of stick with the shape that's worked for them and yeah. see how far they can go with it. I, I think people aren't willing to risk only having two central midfielders. Probably still. also that. I think that's also, that's also problematic. Yeah, right? a little so bit. There's, there's a 3-4-3. Three, three. Mm-hmm. Um, 442 Diamond mm-hmm. is a formation you still see quite a lot. Yep. Um, if you've never seen it, like the 442 we talked about, instead of having four across the middle, left mid, two center mids, and a right mid, you literally have a diamond shape, right? Mm-hmm. Where you have um, at the base of the diamond a defensive midfielder, at the very tip of the diamond an attacking midfielder, and then you have two central ish right and left midfielders. So then you have a diamond shape when you look at it. Mm-hmm. The obvious drawback where's your width coming from? Yep. None of those guys. The, the, obviously, this is not the ideal time to use it, but I remember when I was like 14, and I think my entire team got their growth spurt all at once, and we were just super tall and like a good six inches taller than everyone else we played. Yeah. And our coach just had us play that, only he referred to it as a 4 1 2 1 2, which is the same thing. But it was because. It's just ev- too many numbers to say, right? It, is. it sounds like a phone number. But everybody was so tall that he was basically just like, we'll just put everybody in the box and you'll win every header. <laughs> <laughs> so that's the one way you can use it. Uh, more often, you use it to kind of be able to build. Uh, quickly through the middle, but also stymie what the other team is doing if they want to play centrally through the middle, then having yes. that midfield diamond makes that difficult. You can clog things up with a diamond. You can. Which is not normally what diamonds are used for. Not so much, no. <laughs> Any other um, yeah. formations or wrinkles you want to at least mention to uh, to be completest in this episode? Yeah, there's two there. I think the one that is maybe has replaced the 4-4-2 in my mind as the easiest like plug-and-play is a 4-1-4-1. I think that still gives you a lot of variability and strength while not like like seeding any ground in any particular spot. So you can, it gives you a dedicated defensive midfielder. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It gives you, again, still those kind of two number eights that you would find in a 4-3-3. Yeah. You could still do like a 6-8-10 if you want to, um, but then it gives you the wide attackers who are like stationed wide. They can still come inside if you have overlapping fullbacks. Isn't, isn't a 4-1-4-1 basically just a more defensive 4-3-3? There it is. Yes. It is, right? Yeah. It's a 4-3-3 where the winger's primary job is to... To make sure to stay in a defensive wide shape. Yeah, I mean, uh, but I think you even, see teams do it when they're on the back foot. True, but I still think that even from an attacking standpoint, you tend to see that left midfielder stays on the left side and doesn't go stand up next to the central striker with an overlapping fullback. I think that is, I guess, what I would say is like yeah. the, having the defensive midfielder allows you to push those two central midfielders further forward to yeah. link up with the the number nine. I'd argue you just don't see many attacking teams play a four one four one. It's more a team that's clinging on for dear life. That could be. That could be. <laughs> um, and then the final wrinkle that's maybe worth throwing in there, although it's close to a four four two, would be the red. Red Bull 
any Red Bull up or down, <laughs> four two 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 uh, yes. shape. Which you got the correct number of twos. I mean, I usually comedically go over the top, but that is yeah. a, a way to cover the fact that I never know exactly how many twos yeah, there are. I, I find it hard to know when to. <laughs> I wrote it down this so time. So how does it work with the four two two two? Occasionally very well, but frequently poorly. <laughs> <laughs> so it's sort of like a four four two, right? Yeah. But instead of having wide players, you have like two central midfielders mm-hmm. and then two central attacking midfielders yeah. ahead of them. And then two strikers ahead of them. And my understanding is the way, especially like um, a pressing and counter-attacking team works, is they want to go quickly through the middle. So rather than worrying about sending the ball wide and spreading the spreading the opposition out and going wide to come back in, mm-hmm. you kind of just go straight down the middle. Yeah, yeah. I think the best way I can explain this is like sometimes you'll see it as like a reverse hourglass, where instead of going in, it like bulges out. I guess that's yeah. just a hexagon. But like you'll have like the two, then two slightly wider but still central. Yeah. Then the two forwards ahead of them I guess that are more it's narrow. Not so strictly interpreted yeah. as staying central, but they're mm-hmm. just not as wide as wingers, right? right? That's the weird part of it. Right. The obvious downside to that is you sacrifice some width. Well, there's that. Yeah. Yes. And I think what we've learned today here, people, is the 11 men, 10 outfield players, mm-hmm. um, is not enough to cover a whole soccer field. No. It's essentially every formation is a problem of um, you're a great big person with a very small blanket mm-hmm. and you've got to try and <laughs> cover as much as possible. And you've essentially got to decide, do I want uh, my clavicle to be warm or do i want my toes to be warm Mm -hmm. and you can't have both if you try and have both then you turn the duvet or the blanket one way around and you manage to get your clavicle and your toes but then your arms are sticking out and they're cold and and this is (laughs) to continue this analogy for a moment this is i think that works right kind of yeah Yeah. i think so Uh, (laughs) i think um like one of my kind of favorite things as we watch as you and i watch more and more soccer and talk more and more about it is the idea that like Coaches have philosophies and are steeped in traditions and philosophies of other coaches who came before them. And so the way they choose to try to cover up that bed, that giant bed with the blanket, that now you have the idea of gag and pressing and having everybody kind of compact and tight and pressing means that you're only like you're over covering one part of the field and you're leaving yeah. everything else barren. But that can be OK. Or you can try to spread everything like just the way that te- like coaches go about experimenting with trying to figure out as much as they can and cover as much as they can is a thing that I think is one of the more interesting aspects of uh, soccer in the modern age. It means soccer is an unsolvable problem. Pretty much. That's, that's why it's so fascinating. Unless you have to, Messi on your team. To watch everybody try and fix it. And you're not Argentina. There we go. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Yeah. Instead of trying to solve the Argentina Messi problem, yeah. which many more experienced uh, coaches than us have tried and failed, let's end this episode of Soccer 101. So we will close the show by saying, I've been Daryl Grove. I've been Taylor Rockwell. Thank you for listening to Soccer 101.